Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 87. It's titled, Is This Normal? Today, I am in... Scottsdale, Arizona. We've been here for about 10 days. I'm recording this again in a hotel room, so I'm a little hushed so I don't make too much noise. I want to start with an experience LaPrille just had this past week, and she gave me permission to share it. She has been using for the last eight weeks or so Weight Watchers. This is a company that assists individuals in losing weight, and they have this app. So the way Weight Watchers works is they assign point values to different foods based on their calories and nutrition levels. So less nutritious, higher calorie foods such as cake, pie have a high point value, while lower calorie foods that are more nutritious have low point values, and some even zero in the case of certain fruits and vegetables. Well, participants are given a daily points budget so they can spend, but then quotes, by eating food. They then track where they are relative to the budget by entering what they ate into the Weight Watchers mobile app. Well, over the past week or so, the app just didn't seem to work as well. And, and LaPrell noticed some, some it, it just seems like the points values for specific foods were changing, but she couldn't quite put her finger on what it was. It was just causing some frustration. Finally, we came to, we, we wanted to have breakfast at McDonald's, something that we don't do terribly often, but they have oatmeal. And went in through and got the oatmeal, we ate it, she put it in the app, and it was 13 points where previously it had been seven points. That's an 85% increase. So she finally was able to nail an example of a, a, an increase in points. And it was incredibly frustrating, especially when she got an email the next day that talked about how Weight Watchers had initiated a new program called Beyond Scales, and Beyond the Scale. And the way that it would work is some, everyone got a, a higher point budget, as she did, Lapril, but the points assigned to higher calorie sugar-laden food, the tasty ones, the pie, the cake, or even oatmeal, in the case of McDonald's, went up even more. And so what happens is participants suffered a loss in real food eating wealth due to point inflation. That's essentially what it was. There Their point income went up, but the price, the point levels it cost to eat certain foods went up even more, and they felt 
poor. But it's very, very difficult for Little Pearl to figure out exactly what has happened. Now, this is exactly how monetary inflation takes an economic toll. Salaries can increase each year, but prices of goods and services can rise by even more, resulting in a decline in real or inflation-adjusted wealth. The difference between Weight Watchers point inflation and monetary inflation is monetary inflation tends to be more gradual and consequently less noticeable. Prices don't typically jump 85% in a week, although they can in countries suffering hyperinflation. Inflation is also difficult to detect because each year some prices go up while others go down. The U.S. Consumer Price Index, or CPI, measures the price appreciation for a market basket of goods and services comprising over 8,000 items spread across 200 different categories. So you have all these items, and, and what happens is a, a rising price trend for a market basket consisting of so many moving parts, because you have some that are going up in price, you have some going down in price, you have some such as computers that, that always seem to be going down in price or stay the same, yet their, their, their capacity and what you get for your spending goes up even more, and they have to adjust for that. And so it becomes very, very difficult to determine the trend of what is going on with inflation because there are so many moving parts. It was hard for LaPrell to notice that she was suffering through point inflation through the Weight Watchers app because there were so many food items on there, and it's just hard to get a handle. The other thing about inflation is we it, we don't notice it. We, in other words, when when we adapt to something that is changing very very slowly, we might not even notice that it's changing. That that is what is known as creeping normalcy, and this was a term that I first became aware of when I read the the book Collapsed by Jared Diamond. And in the book, they go over how many different societies collapse. And and one of the things that societies faced is this creeping normalcy over the changes occur are so gradual and so slow that you don't notice the change. I recall that I had a a close family member that, that suffered from pretty significant illness, and it was Cushing's disease is what it was, and I hadn't seen this person in, in about six months, and so, and, and when she, she opened the door, she, she said, do I look different? Because I think I'm, I'm not feeling so well, and I think I might be looking different. I, I couldn't believe the difference. In, in that the Cushing's disease, what happens is you, is you start growing facial hair, mustache, beard. For women, you, you get a hunchback and, and all kinds of things due to the, the excess cortisol that your system is producing. Well, for me, it was not gradual. For her, it was a gradual change. It was creeping normalcy. But for me, it was, it was clear as day that something was seriously, seriously wrong and, and we needed to, to do something about that. But that's what you see with inflation. It can be really gradual. We don't see the change in prices. 
Another area where trends are difficult to perceive uh, because of all the changes on the short term is, is the stock market. On any given day, thousands of stock prices rise while thousands fall. Some weeks and months, the overall stock market is up, while other weeks and months, the market is down. Yet over time, there are definite secular trends. For example, the U.S. stock market has been in a secular uptrend since early 2009. These secular uptrends are sometimes called bull markets. The average annual increase since early 2009 is 16%, as measured by the S&P 500 index. Yet some investors have been completely out of the stock market for this entire bull market out of fear of an imminent market collapse. From 2000 to 2009, the U.S. stock market was in a secular downtrend or bear market, and there the the average annual decline was 6.1%. But if we evaluate stocks over a longer temporal scale, such as decades, the U.S. equity market has appreciated. Since 1900, the U.S. stock market, as measured by the S&P 500 index, has returned on average over 9% a year. Buy and hold investors who allocate the stocks assume this long-term appreciation trend will continue and they're willing to ride out the inevitable down periods, both the shorter-term ones as well as some of the longer-term ones. And they do that in anticipation of extended uptrends. That over time, they believe the market will increase. What lies behind that belief? Well, if you believe that a nation's stock market will appreciate over the long term, it's because you believe the economic growth will continue. And if you believe economic growth will continue, you believe, as we go back to the the basic definition, what drives economic growth? You have to have a growing population of workers and or you need those workers to become more productive at producing goods and services. That, that's the baseline. That's the foundation of economic growth. And you have to assume that there will be sufficient resources, including energy, to produce those goods and services. Now, maybe their productivity will come through technological advances. But if you believe a stock market will appreciate, you need those things. And so when you see an economy like Japan, which does not have appreciation or the, the, the worker population is not growing and the population is shrinking, then you have to become even more productive. And that's one reason the Japanese stock market has had such a difficult time over the last few decades. Now, investors might not realize those are the underlying assumptions that support an appreciating stock market. But they are. You need worker growth or you need worker productivity increases. Another gradual trend that is difficult to detect amidst short-term fluctuation is climate change. It is also subject to creeping normalcy as we adapt to milder winter climate and hotter summers. Right now on Facebook, At least in the last week, there's been a lot of posts of temperature gauges back east showing it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit in Ohio, where a lot of my my former classmates live. And they're all commenting, I can't believe it's so warm in December. 
Whereas probably a month from now, if an Arctic vortex comes, it'll be really, really cold. And and some will post, I can't believe it's so cold. What's all this about climate change? Well, temperatures rise and fall. Seasons change. Extended warm periods are followed by extended cold periods, making it difficult to detect the underlying climate pattern without some type of scientific measurement. Climate trends can also differ by regions, with some places warming and others cooling. But just as the overall stock market and inflation have increased over the long term, despite short-term countertrends and price fluctuations for the individual stocks and goods, the overall global average temperature is rising. The world is warming or is warmer by 0.75 degrees Celsius than it was before the Industrial Revolution. And the rate of warming is, is accelerating. Sea ice and glaciers are melting and the ocean is rising. The amount of sea ice in the Arctic has declined by 40% over the past 36 years. That would be the sea ice within sort of the summer periods because you just like ice, you get more ice in the winter and less ice in the summer. On our flight back from Norway this past June, I've always seen pictures, well, on the, if you see the globe, a, a, an actual yeah, a globe, right? The, the round model that you see or a map of Greenland, it always has this white cap on it. And when we flew over Greenland, I was, I was somewhat stunned. Maybe I shouldn't have been. But Greenland is truly white. It's just a huge ice cap. Well, it's shrinking. Climate change, global warming, has always been difficult for me to understand. And even a month or so ago, there was an article in The Economist, and, and I said to myself, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to understand once again what is, I can understand global temperature going up, but what causes it? What are greenhouse gas emissions and, and how, how does that all work? Because... I personally, I'm not a scientist, I find it somewhat confusing. Let me try one more time. Best way to learn something is to teach it. So this data comes again from this Economist article, and it talked about one-third of the energy that pours into the earth from the sun reflects off clouds and the planet's surface and heads back into space. But much of the rest, so two-thirds, is absorbed by land and the oceans, which then emits it largely in the form of infrared radiation. This infrared radiation is absorbed by trace grasses in the atmosphere, and such as water vapor is is one large source. Carbon is another source that that is absorbing this infrared, and then that gets released upward, sideways, and downward to the Earth's surface. And it's this bouncing around of energy that is known as a greenhouse effect. And it's essential to life on Earth. And without it, the average temperature at the equator would be negative 10 degrees Celsius, according to this Economist article. And so that, that's all it is. It, it's this infrared radiation that, that is bouncing around, reflecting and being absorbed by particles, by, by carbon dioxide, 
and, and to some extent by chloro chloro how how do you say it? chlorofluorocarbon CFCs industrial chemicals and things of that sort. But the other thing that makes it complicated is clouds because clouds are are water vapor. But the size of clouds differ, and this article talked about how it's very, very challenging for models to factor in the impact of clouds, or at least to measure the size of clouds in order to, to figure out this, the greenhouse effect. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The scientific consensus is greenhouse gas emissions from burning fossil fuels are the primary cause for warming temperatures. There are more particles, more carbon dioxide from fossil fuel burning in the atmosphere, so there's more infrared radiation being spread out, and that is what is causing warming. Climatology is complex. The models aren't perfect, but science by its very nature is imperfect and rife with uncertainty. But that doesn't mean it isn't useful. Philip Tetlock writes in his book, Super Forecasting, quote, in science, the best 
evidence that a hypothesis is true is often an experiment designed to prove the hypothesis is false, but which fails to do so. Scientists must be able to answer the question, what would convince me that I am wrong? End quote. The climate hypothesis that has yet to be proven wrong is the world's temperature is rising due to greenhouse gas emissions from burning fossil fuels. That's the leading hypothesis. It has not been proven wrong, but it is incredibly messy. That's what science is. It is not. I get frustrated sometimes because there's this idea that you can prove 100% that something is going to happen. And until you can reach that threshold, then, then don't talk to me. And then give you an example of this, this complexity. Between 1998 and 2012, humans pumped unprecedented quantities of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. This is, again, a quote from The Economist. But during that time, the average global temperature barely rose. There was a meeting in early 20, I think it was earlier this year, that the economists referenced, and, and it was a scientific meeting. And so they were giving reasons, scientists were giving reasons why Temperatures hadn't rose despite all that the, those greenhouse gases going in the atmosphere. One example was because much of the energy went into melting ice. Another said it was because it was absorbed by the oceans. Another said it was small volcanic eruptions through particles in the atmosphere that deflected solar ra- radiation. Another said it was all nonsense. It was a measurement issue. And at the end... The moderator summed up all these different views and said, well, that's science. And we've been here before. When we look at, I live out west, western United States, there are many eagles and ospreys. Beautiful, beautiful birds. Ospreys were, were getting decimated, the populations, in the 50s and 60s. And the reason was because of pesticides that use DDT. But that was not a clear consensus. It took a while. It took years of study. One study would say that's the reason. Other studies would say it was not. But eventually, they banned DDT in 1972. And you've seen a rebound in the osprey population. But that rebound is not solely due to DDT. I read a recent study on Stanford, and it gave a number of reasons why the osprey population has grown. One, it was the, the, the impact of DDT on the, the shell, the egg shells, the, the, the walls within. That is certainly having, not having that exposure is helping, but you also have more nesting facilities as they've used artificial poles. Around here in Idaho, you'll see these poles, these telephone poles that have been outfitted with platforms, so ospreys can build their nest. You've had just a greater awareness of ospreys, so people want to protect them. So everything is complex and multifaceted when it comes to science. Last week, 196 countries agreed in Paris to a historic climate agreement in which individual countries voluntarily committed to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions in order to keep the average mean global temperature increase to less than 2 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial times. Why would sovereign nations commit to this if the consequences of climate change remain uncertain and ultimately unknowable? 
because we've already seen the ecological damage from the warming that has already occurred. And waiting for further evidence that an action is risky when the potential negative consequences of that action are so large is imprudent, if not foolish. We know that climate change potentially can be very, very damaging. Science consensus is it is caused by greenhouse gas emissions from humans burning fossil fuels. That's what we know. That's the leading hypothesis. It has not been disavowed. It has not been proven wrong. And the risk of not acting is so large and so we're going to act. And it'll take time and it'll take incremental changes and there'll have to be new technology developed. But that's the consensus. And it is not a vote. It is simply the way science works and science is messy. So what can we do? Personally, individually, for to to participate in stopping global warming, the increase of these greenhouse gases, primarily carbon dioxide, well, we can reduce our use of fossil fuels. It, it ends up being an economic decision where we can measure whether we're whether we're making any changes by our amount of use of fossil fuels. So drive less. We can drive more efficient vehicles. We can weatherize our homes. I know I have a window in my daughter's bedroom that I need to caulk because we've got air leaking in. That's causing more higher heat bill. But by reducing our power bill, I mean, we, we benefit in terms of saving, but it also has an impact because we're using less power. We can use more efficient light bulbs. When a light bulb burns out, we can replace it with an LED light bulb. We can use more efficient appliances. We can just stop buying new stuff and, and when possible, buy used goods. Now, these are small voluntary acts, and they're not hard, but it does take, in my case, it just takes recognizing I need to do that. I need to make those changes. It has to be a conscientious effort. How would this energy transition to renewable energy resources from fossil fuels such as coal, oil, and natural gas, how will that impact price? I don't know. Certainly, price of oil, natural gas is rock bottom right now because supply is less than demand, which is very, very unusual. Yet that low price of oil and natural gas makes them more attractive and more efficient on a dollar-per-dollar basis than renewable resources. And so there will be, it needs to be, an energy transition. But at the same time, the economy continues to grow, and you have a lot of developing nations wanting to drive and have a lot of the things the first world or the developed world has. And so you have all these moving pieces. It's as complex is science. We don't know how it will impact at the end of the day on oil and natural gas, because this is going to be a decades-long transition. In the meantime, I'm more concerned about my behavior, my family's behavior, in terms of trying to reduce our energy footprint. 
Back in episode 83, Please Save More, I mentioned a company called Forasol. They are a 401k provider. 401ks are defined contribution plans in the United States. And this particular company I talked about is offering very, very inexpensive 401k plans using Vanguard funds for smaller employers. Well, I got an email the next day from Rob. Rob is a partner at a law firm, and he immediately called and set up a demo with Forasol and was favorably impressed. And so last week I thought I'd check, well, how's that transition going? He said, we've elected to move forward with Forasol. I've been extremely impressed with their product and their customer service. Although the transition of our plan assets will not take place until early 2016, all of our employees are signed up and will be ready to go in 2016. Admittedly, not all of our employees appreciate the change, but those that do pay attention to such things are really excited. Some of our employees are getting hit with fees as high as 2.76% for the fund options in their existing 401k plan. So the 0.54%, which is what for us all cost, the employees, including the expense ratios of the Vanguard funds, he says that is a welcome change. They've really made the sign-up process easy both for the company and the employees and honestly have not been this impressed with the customer service of a company in a long time. They communicate in simple, clear terms and are extremely responsive. I was really, really glad to hear that. This is a time of year when a lot of companies are looking at their 401k plans. If you want to look at an option, if you are involved in the small employer and want a low-cost 401k plan that's easy to administer and uses Vanguard index funds and lifestyle funds, please take a look at Forasall. You can get more information at forasall.com. And if you schedule a demo and say you heard of this company from Money for the Rest of Us, I, the show, will get a referral fee. You can also go to moneyfortherestofus.net on the homepage. There's a link to forusall.com. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. This is episode 87. Is this normal? And that's where you can sign up for my weekly insider's guide. It's a weekly email where I'll email those show notes to you and I include other valuable content such as spreadsheets, videos. I recently got an email from Anne who just signed up for the Insider's Guide and she said, thank you very much for the valuable information you provide along with some bonus spreadsheets and videos to boot. I appreciate it as I can use all the help I can get. So that's at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you would like additional help in terms of asset allocation, portfolio guidance, and other educational insight on investing and money, you can get that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. This is a premium membership site, moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, in the economy. Have a great week. 